Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thanks so much for joining me. As always, really appreciate it. This week, I'm speaking with Lindsay Rogers Seitz. Now, this is a powerful conversation. I'll tell you how I came to speak with her. Several months ago, I read an article. I believe it was on the front page of Yahoo. It was it was kind of published on, if I'm looking now, on the New York Post, on the Today Show, a lot of different places because she had written a book. And the article headline was definitely attention-grabbing. And that headline was, How I Forgave My Husband... For our son's hot car death, which, you know, I think anyone would would want to click on and, and read exactly what had happened. And once looking at it, you find a story of, you know, unspeakable tragedy, but really resolve when it comes to keeping a family together, forgiving through tragedy, you know, realizing that keeping that keeping that you know animosity keeping that unwillingness to forgive is is hurting you and and being able to forgive somebody is extremely freeing and liberating um so i wanted to to hear more from from lindsay she had she spoke a lot about that in in that particular article uh so i reached out to her um through that i was able to receive a copy of her book uh, I, I read the book, really, really powerful. It talks about exactly what happened that day, her journey since then, and and um, learning to cope with with you know the the death of her son and and forgiving her husband for uh, the events of the day. Uh, it also speaks a lot about her lifelong journey uh, with mental illness herself. She was diagnosed um, in. Uh, I believe in in her early twenties with with bipolar disorder. So she's had her own uh, struggles when it comes to uh, dealing with her her own mental health. So we talk about that, and her book talks about that. But uh, this is a powerful conversation. Her book is a powerful book, just about just such a, a an event that I don't think anyone could really think about uh, and really fathom. Where you know her her husband driving to work. She's going to talk about it, but driving to work. You know, supposed to drop the her her son off to to daycare. Uh, her, you know, the just the monotony of the day kicked in his mind, and he did what he does every day, which is just drive straight to work. And uh, and you know, the the end result was you know the, the son being left in a in the hot car and uh, and and Paris. So it, it's a powerful conversation. It it's it's definitely a, a sad topic that that we 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 you know. It's based around, but it's really a story of uh, forgiveness and and ultimate, uh, you know, f- freedom from uh, you know freedom from from the the issue. So I, I do think that this is going to be a a powerful one for for people to listen to. It's it's not all sad by by any means. It's a, it's a great uh, story about a, a family that was able to uh, to to overcome and to stick together. So I I think you're going to enjoy this one. Here is Lindsay Rogers Seitz. I'm here today with Lindsay Rogers Seitz. Ms. Seitz, how are you? Good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for joining me. A uh, lot to cover today, but if you would, just, just introduce yourself. 
Sure. Uh, Lindsay Rogers Seitz, um, attorney, author, recently published a memoir, The Gift of Ben, and uh, mental health advocate. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and I, I read the book, an amazing book, and we're going to talk a lot about um, some really, some really big topics today. I actually, you know, before we we started speaking, um, I was on just the CNN's homepage. There's actually was just last week the, the same type of, of of case. So this is something that is really people need to hear more about. We're talking because of your book. Um, we're going to talk a lot more about less than about what happened and more about kind of just the afterwards, the forgiveness, the developing strength, that kind of thing. But I think that's important just right off the bat. So we can talk about all that, that other stuff, that important stuff is to talk about exactly what happened and what made you write a book. Sure. So July 7th, uh, 2014, my husband, we had three kids at the time, uh, two daughters, ages eight and five and then a 15 month old son. And uh, he was the daddy's boy. So my husband, Kyle, always takes care of getting him ready uh, to go to daycare. And it was a very hectic morning. We had family in from out of town for July 4th weekend, just a lot of extra noises, um, stuff going on. And my husband put Ben in the car like he always does, started going down the road that he travels every day to go to daycare. And for some reason, instead of turning left where he usually does, he continued down the street and turned right. And then the way that experts describe it, his habitual memory, which forms habits, took over for his perspective memory, which allows you to plan for the day. Um, and he just turned right like he always does and drove to get coffee and then to work, um, not knowing that Ben was still in the back seat. And uh, later that day, he went to pick Ben up from daycare around 515 uh, went into daycare, asked where Ben was. They immediately looked at him questioningly. Um, you know, what do you mean Ben was never dropped off? And then he realized his mistake, um, ran out to the car and then drove to the hospital. Right. And I want to, I want to kind of talk about in reading the book, the thing that kind of just struck me is, you know, right afterwards, of course, you talked about having, you know, two other children. They kind of jumped off the page in, in during, during that time, because just the, I don't know, the, the strength that they had. I think that they probably were kind of helping you guys through the situation. I want you guys to kind of to talk about how you created that, that process of, of understanding reality for, for them. And then just, I mean, just how amazing they were in all of it. I think they, were, they showed a lot of maturity. Yeah. I mean, I can honestly say we've gotten this far because of them. My oldest is now 17. My youngest is 14. And Anytime you're going through grief and a tragedy like this and trying to understand what reality is, where, you know, directions up and down, putting one foot in front of the other, it's amazing how young children can give you insight into the simple things that you need. Uh, you know, when I told them that um, Ben had passed away, I took them to a chapel behind our church and we met with a pastor and I didn't give the details, obviously, because it wasn't at the point yet where they could understand. But I just told them the, the general, you know, Ben passed away, his heart stopped, et cetera. Um, and then my oldest daughter really just wanted to go play. She walked over to the window and said, Mom, can I go to the playground? So we let her. Then my youngest daughter walked out with me and I was in tears. And she just grabbed my hand and she said, Mom, it'll be OK. Just let me love you. I'm your sidekick. So she took that role immediately of being my rock. Um, I think I was Kyle's rock and she and Kaylin were my rock. 
there were moments where um, we laid in bed together and I was just sobbing and they asked me why. And I said, I just don't know how to function because I love Ben so much. And the same one, Riley, the, the youngest, she said, well, mom, you just, you just function and you breathe and you'll be okay. So those are the moments that really helped me through some of the worst of it. Yeah. Yeah. And reading the book, just, you know, what, what, what you said that they said, I just thought, holy moly, that's, that's pretty cool. So I wanted to, I wanted to kind of highlight that a less cool part of it is there's a, there's a whole nother layer of it because of exactly what happened that there was some, you know, some, a legal aspect to it, which, Mm -hmm. you know, it was a, a huge battle in all of that. I just wonder why do you think that they, I guess they were, they targeted you guys so much when it came to that, because I mean, in the book, when people read it, they'll, they'll see that. I mean, it was not just a, you know, okay, this isn't clearly an accident. This is something that, that happened. I feel like they almost had a, I don't want to say a vendetta, but it was, it was pretty, it was pretty intense for a while. So, so why do you think that was? So there were two investigations, um, the criminal investigation, and then, um, child protective services in Connecticut is called, uh, Department of Children's and Families, which I refer to as DCF. And you have to understand the summer that this happened in 2014, we were one of, oh gosh, um, 30 or 40 deaths that summer. And there had just been a really highly um, publicized death in Georgia. So we were coming right on the heels of that. And um, there were questions early on about whether it was intentional or whether it wasn't. And then I think this made it really politicized that that summer, especially in Connecticut. And uh, we were in the media. The media was immediately immediately at our doorstep. So there was there was so much writing on this for all the government agencies. And the research that I've done, particularly with DCF, is that, I mean, social workers have their their backs against the wall, to be honest. And, you know, they did the best they could. But it's it's called defensive social work, where you know, everybody knows when you save a child, but nobody knows when you go after somebody that doesn't deserve it. But you do it because there's so much liability, um, media attention, lawsuits, everything. And of course, you want to save as many lives as you can. So I really think that's what uh, led up to that. And it was difficult because um, it was obvious that my husband was involved in the events that day. But for me, um, they had found out early on that I suffered from bipolar disorder. And I think there's a lot of stigma. And even over time, as you know, people understood that I, I was in no way involved, I think it's hard to let that go. They separately investigated me, who knows why, um, to make sure I was fit uh, because I was bipolar. Um, uh, it's just really hard to tell. But that was a very difficult process. And it kept us from being able to grieve for a very long time because we were just stuck in the survival instinct of all the investigations. And I mean, the, the mental illness that you just spoke about was something that, you know, played a large part in your book. And I, and like you said, I think it was a a reason why maybe that you were looked at too. Once you talk to us a little bit more about, you know, that, that journey and and whatever comfort level you have and talking about, uh, I guess those challenges. Sure. So I always say Ben brought me back to myself. And what I mean by that is in my early twenties, um, I was diagnosed with manic depression and went through a really rough time in my 20s. It was right after I'd gotten married with Kyle at the very young age of 21. And he really got me through, saved my life many times, got me through some of the darkest nights and supported me and loved me. And I I often think um, 
you know, I returned that love to him after Ben died and that we were meant to be together for that reason. Uh, but I never could accept myself. There's so much stigma in the U.S. And, and around the globe regarding mental illness and lack of understanding. You know, many men mental health systems are failing. And, um, you know, if you can't love yourself, how are you supposed to love other people? And so through Ben's life and our tragedy and really delving into the concepts of unconditional love and forgiveness, I had to go through my own process of unraveling a bit that year after to really bring myself back to my, you know, come back to myself, accept me for who I am. And really like in publishing the book, it's, it's a coming out for me and being able to, to say things that most people can't say. And, I, you know, I want to lead the way so that others can do that. But uh, that really led a lot into why I wrote the book. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think, so this, obviously the, the events we're talking about is in 2014, 2015, you know, they say that there's a, has been a lot of, of growth in, in breaking that stigma. Do you feel like in the last five or six years, I know you still work in this field. Do you think that that truly is happening? Do you really think that some of those stigmas are being at least eased or is that just a, a good marketing ploy for, for companies to be saying that? Um, I'm sure it's gotten better. You know, obviously, as time progresses and people speak up more, especially um, public figures, um, you know, congressmen have come out, which is wonderful recently, I think in April and celebrities and um, people are, you know, writing articles about it and with NAMI writing blogs, which is so wonderful. But we've got so much more room to grow. Um, hmm. You know, for me, I was an attorney and I felt like I could never come out because I was, I was a lawyer. Um, how could I come out as having something as serious as bipolar if I was expected to be, if, if I wanted to be respected and trusted as a professional? Our mental health system has not made much progress uh, going all the way back to the 40s, 50s, 60s. Um, we've just taken a really long sideways path to getting it right in America. And, um, you know, there are so many changes that need to happen. I think that, you know, a lot of people speak up for Mental Health Awareness Month, which is in May, but every every month should this should be important. It shouldn't just be after mass shootings or, you know, unfortunately, um, public suicides. It needs to be talked about um, all the time so that we can really progress uh, in the U.S. and try to try to change our system. Yeah, absolutely. And and in the book too, you you mentioned that things would have probably been a lot easier when it easier when it comes to the legal side if you guys were to split up. There would have been you know a divorce and everything would have been kind of totally different. Maybe you wouldn't have been investigated, all that kind of stuff, which is kind of terrible to hear, unfathomable to think that you know the system is set up to maybe break apart families when something like this happens. But that isn't what happened. Um, and that's kind of what we want to talk about is you're know, learning from things, gaining strength, gaining, you know, the ability to forgive. I want to, I want to know kind of what, uh, what made you decide to take that path and not, I guess, frankly, take the easy path. Right. So going back to your initial thought, um, it would have been easier if we had broken up. I think, you know, that's the way the system is set up. If one parent is deemed negligent, is it negligence for the other parents to still keep the kids around them? And I think that that was another issue other than my bipolar. But we just, our family unit, we were such a loving family and so happy together. And I do feel in ways that Kyle and I have been soulmates at some level in helping each other and teaching each other lessons through life. And you know, I think this event has helped us both learn forgiveness 
And I think, you know, when I first uh, found out what happened in the, the hospital, my initial instinct emotionally and from my heart was I told him I loved him. And then my mind had to catch up. And so it's been, I mean, eight years to publish the, the memoir, even though I wrote it in, in 2015. Um, it's been a long journey of really step-by-step fighting to keep the family together, to learn that, you know, y- your love can change over time and it doesn't have to stay the same, but you can grow love um, in a different way. And, you know, I think through unconditional love, you find forgiveness. So it is a decision that you have to make every day. Yeah. And I want to talk a little more about that in a moment, but, you know, I've had, I've had psychics on, I've had Reiki masters on before, and they, they always tell me all these amazing things that they can do, but I've never really talked to anyone who's benefited from it. I just hear people talk about it. Okay. Well, that's, that sounds cool, but I really know nothing about it. In the book, you talked about, you know, benefiting from that kind of world. So talk a little bit about that. Sure. Um, I never believed in that. Not one day in my life leading up to, to these events. And I had a friend who, well, actually, she wasn't a friend yet. She didn't even know me before Ben passed away. Um, but she could sense things. And she saw a vision one night of a boy um, it, in the middle of the night and, you know, just didn't really think much about it. And then she saw a picture of Ben a few days later and she just jumped out of her seat because that was the the child that she had seen. And she actually went to Reiki and um, the woman, uh, her name was Christine. She said, so um, I see a little blonde haired boy, you know, running around. Is that your son? Has he passed? And she said, oh my gosh, no, I just saw him 30 minutes ago. And then um, a friend introduced me to Amy and she said, hey, you might want to go see this person. Can I give you her number? So then she connected me with Christine and it was astounding. Um, the things that she picked up on before she even knew who I was and had seen me in the media. Um, she picked up on um, obviously Ben and that he had a purpose and that it was kind of bigger than his life. And um, that I needed to really expand my views of, of spirituality and, and faith and um you know, really to try to figure out what, what Ben's voice is and what his purpose is. And I think that's one reason uh, I wanted to, to publish the book. It's not to rehash a really tough topic, to be honest, it's to try to, you know, help, help people who need it, who are struggling, whether it's for mental illness or um, death or, you know, any marriage issues or anything, um, but to really uh, delve into that. So it was integral to what I did in the future. Yeah. And I, I love to hear that just because, like I said, I've, I've talked to these people, but I never really have heard anyone talk about the benefits of it. So that's, that's really amazing. Um, you know, we talked a little bit ago about your, your mental health diagnosis. I know that you are currently working or at least starting to launch something within that field. Talk a little bit about that. Sure. So it's brand new. Mm-hmm. I, you know, as I told you, I've been an attorney for 13 years and uh, woke up one day in December last year and just huge epiphany. I can't do this anymore. I'm out. Um, I didn't feel fulfilled. I, I knew that I wasn't effectuating any type of purpose that I had in this life. And so just decided that I was going to walk away from a big law firm and a 13-year career and really focus on writing and publishing um, because I'm a writer before any of this. That came first. And so I felt like it was a way that I could add some value to 
hopefully something in society. And what's come out of that is I've really gotten to know a great group of people who are mental health advocates in the U.S., and they have such a system at the state level and the federal level of really working to change the, the failing mental health system um, in the country. And so I'm, um, you know, in, at one time thinking about working on a book on that topic to come next. And then also through my writing, um, uh, launching um, an online magazine that delves ex exclusively into mental health issues and, uh, you know, working with some of the advocates to try to, to change the system. I think that's awesome. And you said that you're you're a writer. That kind of came first. Obviously, we know about your memoir. What other what other kind of writing are you are you doing? Well, unfortunately, legal writing for way uh -huh. too long. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this was my first foray into actually writing a book or a memoir, and it it came out so easily. And it was a great to be able to express things that are hard to 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 come to terms with express that in words is such a, a, a valuable thing. And I'm happy that I was able to do it. Um, but um, I've written articles, essays, articles about um, unconscious bias and, and just uh, stigma in the legal field and other professions and ways that we can change it. Um, I've written uh, essays for um, some large publications and especially related to um, the launch of my book. And so Moving forward, I know I have some more books in me and hoping to really focus on uh, mental health awareness. Yeah, and I have I have no doubt about, you know, your your ability as a writer because, you know, I've I've read a lot of different memoirs and a lot of times I don't think that you are you didn't have a ghostwriter with this, right? Oh no. Yeah. No ghostwriter. Yeah. So I I mean I've I've read a lot and there's some people that are, are good writers and there's some that aren't. You know, interesting things happen to people you know, that, you know, we want to read about, but that doesn't mean they know how to write them. But you, for lack of a better word, I, I just found your story to be very like flowy. That's a terrible word, but I, I think that you, uh, you, you have a lot of talent there. What made you decide to, to write it in the way that you did? And I don't think that's even a question until see people read it. So you're even going to really understand what that means, but it is a very kind of flowy, <laughs> flowy book. I mean, sometimes, I know, yeah, some, yeah. I know what you're trying to describe. And to be honest, it's just my unique writing style. I don't know how to write differently. Um, and it was, I took creative license with it and poetic license, to be honest. And I tried to find a publisher that really allowed me that space to do that because I think it's oftentimes you, it's, you're just, they want to fit you into a box. Um, but that's, that's my voice. And I felt like that was the best way to relay raw, authentic emotions. And, um, I, I know exactly what you're trying to describe, but um, it's just it's just the way that I write. Yeah, yeah. And I want to now talk about um, you know you you talked about the the forgiveness side of things, the hope side of things, the the love. Um, but I think that you know hearing this story, that's hard for people to truly understand. Um, you know, there's a lot of questions that could be asked, of course, pointed questions about you know how you're able to forgive, how you're able to find hope in, in a situation that was pretty pretty obviously terrible. So I want you to kind of talk about what you learned from, from the situation, how you learned to find that hope, how you learned to find that forgiveness. You talked about it a little bit earlier, but just for the listener who, who can't fathom that, not that they're truly going to be able to fathom this experience, but I want you to talk about uh, you know, that hope and that love and, and the learning that you've, you've done. Sure. Um, I was lucky that 
I truly believe that on whatever level, as we evolve over time, Kyle and I are definitely soul partners in some way. And I think when that's the case, when you, when you are able to grow unconditional love where we all, you know, we're all so imperfect and messy and that's what people don't always admit. I think we see each other on social media, but in reality, we're just imperfect and messy humans. And um, to, to understand that and be able to love each other as who we are. I mean, he loves me for my authentic, messy, bipolar uh, uh, self who's always searching for who I am. And, um, you know, I love him for the kind um, father and, and man of faith that he is. And, um, you know, unconditional love means you go through the rough times and you still stick it out and you you find a way. Our love has definitely changed. Um, it used to be just so happy and lighthearted. And then after this, we had, it was, we grew a new kind of relationship and friendship and, and, and love that we have together. Um, and you have to allow it to change over time and understand that that's okay. And honestly, forgiveness is freedom. It's very liberating to be able to forgive, especially under circumstances like this. I, I don't know. I, I would have been under under a heavy blanket for the rest of my life if I could never let go and forgive him. But I think forgiveness is linked to unconditional love. I think it's natural and flows out of that, even though it's it's a battle. I mean, it took it's taken me probably eight years to even to get close. So it, it doesn't happen overnight, but you just really have to stick with it and, and let it evolve over time. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think that's important to, you know, a lot of people have said it, but when it comes to forgiveness, of course, it's a great thing for that other person to receive your forgiveness. But just like you said about forgiveness being freedom, it's a great thing to be able to forgive somebody because being able to holding that in is, I don't think there's a, a worse thing, you know, when it comes to your mental health to be able to, to, I guess, not be able to forgive. So it's just as it, it's a very, it's a very reciprocal thing to, to have that. So I, I love that for sure. Um, I want to talk about, you know, we're talking today, you wrote a book. You talked earlier about being on a, another podcast. You're, you're out here sharing this message. It's an important message, but it could also be for you, for your family. It could be a triggering thing to, to talk about this. So what do they think about um, you, know, you, you being out here, you sharing this message, and, uh, and, and you speaking about this on a, on a regular basis? Yeah, so um, I, I read a saying about a month ago that I really loved. It said, when you can talk about it without crying, you know, you've healed. And I don't think you ever hundred percent heal from something like this, but I've lived this how many days for so long um, that I've really integrated it into who I am. So now I feel like I can use it for a different purpose and not have it trigger me every day. I feel, I feel been around me all the time. I know that, that this is what I'm, I'm meant to do. And, um, Kyle hasn't read my book yet, and I don't think he will. I think it would be too much of, of a trigger because he's just not at that point yet. Um, but he's supported. He knows that I'm a writer and that this is a journey of, of healing and grief and getting everything out on paper. So he's always supported what I was doing, whether I published it or not. And it's taken me a long time to publish it. Um, but my my girls, they just support mom. Um, they know They like to see me happy and know that this new path in my life makes me happy. And as long as I don't put pictures of them anywhere, they're, uh, they're, they're happy with everything. So good. Yeah. A pretty, pretty famous person in, in the world that uh, has suffered quite a bit of, quite a bit of loss. Uh, he, he says all the dang time that eventually 
when you think of a person that you lost, you're going to have a smile on your face before you have a tear in your eye. And I think that's kind of exactly the, the saying that you mm-hmm. said. So I think that's, that's really awesome. You, you, you talked about how it took you eight years to, to publish it. It didn't take eight years to write it. Apparently you, you wrote it kind of right in the beginning. So kind of a double question. One, what made you decide at that point that you wanted to write it? Was it just getting your emotions out because you are kind of a natural writer? That's the first one. And then the second part of it is what made you after eight years to be like, this is something that I, I want to do. Um, this, I want to, uh, I want to kind of get this story out for, for others to read. Yeah. So first and foremost, um, I have a little bit of a breakdown struggling that, that year after we had gone through everything. And after we'd moved to Colorado and knew that I had to be me, I had to accept myself. I had to love myself. And I drove to Aspen and started a new medication that was, that was hopefully going to help me and just felt God around me for the first time. I felt Ben around me. I had questioned whether there was a God for, you know, six months, uh, more like a year for a year. Um, and then I just sat down in nature and just started writing. I think it was trying to get out all the, the hardship and, and pain that I've had for, I, I mean, a third of my life struggling with mental illness and then with Ben passing away. And it was a way for me to reclaim my identity, I think, and really speak out and be myself for the first time. So it really started out related more to my mental illness. And then it combined with our story with Ben and I saw how everything was linked together. And it's taken me eight years to publish it because I knew as an attorney, I could never publish the book ever. Um, There's just too much stigma. There's so much rawness that it would just be hard in my eye to be a professional and share all of this with the world and be in the media. So I ended up just giving it up to, to, to publish. And I think it was the right choice. It wasn't an easy choice and it's a very big leap of faith. Um, but I feel like it's, you know, and it's, I know it's, it's a tough, it's a tough story. Um, but I think what people don't realize is that it's less about what happened that one day and more about a journey of, of hope and love. So that's what I really wanted to get out there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and with that journey, this is kind of an interesting question, but actually the first person I ever interviewed three or four years ago talked about mental health um, issues. And he actually was a suicide survivor. He talked a lot about mental health and he talked about this was the, during the height of, of COVID and how a lot of people were starting to feel, you know, depression. They were starting to have mental health issues and they didn't know how to, to deal with them. And he said, this is actually a time that having a mental illness is, was kind of a, a superpower, so to speak, because he had learned how to cope with it. And those people with mental health issues had learned how to cope with, you know, those issues for a, a long, long time. So that's kind of the background to ask this question. Do you think that with the issues that you had had in the past and coping with those, do you think that that helped you better cope with this issue? Or do you think that it, it just, you know, stacked onto things? Did it allow you, Hey, I've, I've coped with things in the past. I know how to get through this. Or was it just even worse because of what you've dealt with in the past? Oh no, I would never have gotten through this if I hadn't struggled in the past. I think that especially with serious mental illnesses, um, it is such a fight and struggle um, day in and day out. And like you said, uh, suicidal thoughts and with bipolar mania and mixed states and depression. And, you know, it just, when you read the book, you can, people can understand. Um, but I think 
you learn, you have an inner strength once you go through that. And, you know, even getting through anxiety and, and PTSD and, and, um, OCD or anything, it gives you an inner strength. And once you go, go down that road at one point in your life and survive, I think when you go through, um, trials in the future is so much easier to be strong because you know, you can do it and you've been down that path before. Absolutely. I didn't want to assume that, but that is, that's what I gathered from the book. I, I felt like because of some of the things that you've, you've dealt with in the past that made it a lot easier, I mean, easier to, to deal with, with the, the things that you were dealing with. So, uh, I'm glad that, that I, uh, I guess I got the, the right message from the book when it comes to that. I want you to now talk about, you know, we left you kind of in 2015, you talked about this brand new path, but there's been several years since then. What, what, what have you been up to? What's, what's life like for you, for your family? Let's talk about the journey since, uh, since 2015. So the good news is that we protected our kids enough through all of this when they were young, that they're just very happy, normal 17 and 14 year olds that barely remember anything. And they just no issues. They're just happy playing soccer and being social and running and um, everything's wonderful for them. I think my husband and I, once we moved to Colorado, went on a separate but parallel grief journey. I think that because of um, what Kyle experienced, that I could never under—I could never understand that or know what he felt. Um, he had to compartmentalize in ways to get through, and really, um, God, I don't know—I I don't know how he's—he's he's dealt with it internally because he doesn't talk about it. But he, you know, he had to get back to work. We um, focused a lot on our children, like I said before, and and you know, with my oldest soccer games was a weekly and weekend and, you know, every type of event and uh, really just trying to be a family and enjoy laughter and cooking out and just all, all those types of things. Um, For me, I didn't, and this elongated my grief journey, but I didn't really allow myself to even feel or think anything for so long. I I numbed myself, self-medicated for years on end just because I think that I wasn't happy. I, you know, as I said, as an attorney, wasn't happy. And then after Ben died, I just still couldn't get through it. And so I just didn't want to feel anything. Um, And then recently last year, I really got through that. And when I woke up and, and realized this is it, this, this is what I'm going to do. And, you know, Ben had a purpose and here I am and I can get through this and feel things and, and, uh, be authentically me. Um, I was really able to get through that. So it has been a really long journey, but, uh, we're in a good place. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And I want to, want to ask you how people can find the book, but you know, when it comes to, to the journey, releasing that book, it took you a long time, but do you feel like releasing the book has, is part of your, your healing journey? Is that something that, that needed to happen in order for you to, to heal? Or is it more about, you know, letting other people know and, and raise awareness to the topic. Yeah, I don't think writing was part of my healing journey. It, I don't think publishing was. Mm-hmm. The only reason I published wasn't even to really talk so much about the events. But I would say 90% of publishing the memoir was to really help other people primarily with mental illness and also help them understand how you can get through any struggle, tragedy, trauma that you go through in your life. So that that was that was the main part of the journey in deciding to publish. Yeah, absolutely. So how can people catch the book? How can they they find it if they want to want to read about your journey and and uh, and maybe learn a few things as well? 
Sure. Um, the Gift of Ben, Loving Through Imperfection. You can find it um, local bookstores, Barnes and Noble. Um, Amazon's probably the easiest because you everybody can get to Amazon. Uh, so those are probably the best ways. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. So that was Lindy Rogers Sites. What a amazing, powerful story. I am so honored to have spoken with her. Should you want to read more about her story, it, it truly is an inspiring one uh, when it comes to just overcoming the things that she is, has, has had to overcome, when it comes to overcoming the death of her son, Ben, overcoming her, her mental health struggles and, and still learning from those to this day, her new passion uh, when it comes to working in, uh, in the mental health field, uh, her new passion when it comes to writing. I, uh, I urge you to, uh, to check out her book, The Gift of Ben. The link to that will be in the show notes. I urge you to, to, to follow along with her. I know she'd greatly appreciate that. Uh, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, I appreciate you being here. Uh, please follow along with us as well. Not Enough Podcast on Instagram. Not Enough with Jackson Huff on Facebook, jacksonhuff.com. Leave a five-star review on Apple and on Spotify. appreciate that very much. Leave a written review on Apple. Even more amazing. Uh, but if you do nothing else, catch us next week. Another amazing guest. Take it away, Chris. This has been Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think. Or, hey, maybe even both. But until then... Keep being awesome.